You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 836 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Tuesday into Wednesday. It'll be a little bit shorter show today, just by myself, talking about two broad topics and uh, just a peek behind the curtain. I was not actually going to do a show tonight, but alas, we have we have enough to do one, and I feel like it was uh, better to do one than not to do one. So here we are to talk about some basketball-related things and some Hawks stuff, and thank you, as always, for joining me on the podcast. Okay, first topic on the agenda is that Sham Sarania of The Athletic talked to Executive Director of the MBPA, Michelle Roberts, um, on Tuesday. And that produced a bit of news that is relevant to the Hawks and the entire NBA. Roberts, of course, leads the Players Association alongside Chris Paul. Um, and as, just, as a reminder here at the top, she does not speak for everyone. She speaks for one side. So there's the, there's the NBA and then there's the Players Association. So keep that in mind throughout, but still a very informed source on a lot of different topics. Um, she noted that January or February is the most realistic start date for next season. And the direct quote was, quote, the latter part of January or February makes sense, end quote. She said there was, uh, quote, the absolute earliest, end quote, is January, but they have shared goals with the NBA in terms of a 82-game uh, season with in-market play, reduced travel, and the potential for fans in the stands. Also, Roberts said that um, MLK Day could be the start of the season, and that would be, quote, symbolically fantastic, end quote, given where the players are and engaging on social justice issues, but it's too soon to know if that's going to be possible. That's a date that's, of course, right in the middle of January, so that might be a logical start date. It's also a pretty broadly popular NBA day. They usually uh, sort of go all day on that day. On that Monday, people are off work. It's probably a pretty good pretty good and logical start date for the NBA, all things considered. I forgot to note this earlier in the week, actually, when we talked about the jerseys, but Mark Spears of, the e- of ESPN's The Undefeated reported via a source that the Hawks could debut their MLK City Edition jerseys on MLK Day, if they're playing by then, which makes, obviously, very logical sense, but I didn't see it um, specifically sort of noted anywhere else, so I wanted to go ahead and pass that along here, given that the topic was on brand. Um, Roberts also said that she personally is, quote, not of the view that we should wait until we think the arenas can open, end quote, and I agree with that, frankly. There's too much guesswork involved with trying to figure out when the arenas can be open. They're all hopeful to have fans for obvious reasons, monetarily, number one, but they can't just wait for that to happen. I think everyone knows that. So, you know, holding on forever to try to have fans in the stands, not, not ideal. So maybe you can change in the middle of the season, et cetera. But I think uh, I agree with her on that. Just not waiting forever to try to uh, hope that fans will be suddenly allowed to be in buildings. Last thing on the schedule with regard to what Robert said, she mentioned that the, uh, that she would not bet on returning to the old normal. That's a quote from her with regard to the NBA's traditional schedule model. She brought up questions about competing with football in the fall. Also talked about maybe starting on Christmas, etc. Nothing definitive nor shocking about those comments, but again, uh, worth noting that she's the only uh, she's only speaking for one side of the discussion. But obviously, this is a pretty logical launch point for the NBA to reevaluate its schedule in some ways. It doesn't mean they have to change anything, but uh, if they're ever going to do it, it might be a good time to go ahead and do that. Non-schedule things. Um, Robert said pretty candidly, she's not a fan of the "delete eight" moniker that John Hollinger coined and that many have used, of course, including myself. She said it's quote bleeped up to say that, and uh, the bleep word was not was not actually bleeped in the story with Shams. Um, <laughs> also, free agency is expected to be no, no later than December one, according to the piece. 
I've heard the same date independently with December 1 as possibly the most widely rumored for agency start date. Um, again, not in stone by any means, but it's very, very logical. It would keep the league on schedule in some ways in that it's about two weeks after the draft, which is pretty normal given how close the draft free agency often are in the offseason. Roberts also said that she didn't think that, that they can deviate much from where they projected the salary cap to be originally, which is $115 million for next season at the last formal release. It might come down a little bit from that, but it's not going to just bottom out or go sky high either, I don't think. And she was of that same mind. Also, she, she said that, that, that the two sides can, quote, do some things with the cap to allow for a free for a free market and not completely destroy what the teams were expected the cap to be as they were planning ahead, end quote, which makes sense. Uh, you, want, you don't want to have too many huge changes here to mess teams up in either direction. And finally, on that topic, Robert said that the uh, CBA stuff and the, the cap is uh, the cap one of the easier negotiations, basically, is what she was saying with regard to what the players and the owners have to talk about in the near future. I would agree with that. I think the cap is probably not a huge point of discussion unless they blow the whole thing up. But if they don't do that, it should be pretty easy for them to narrow down and get a date, um, a date and info and all that stuff in the very near future. Um, there was some talk about BRI, which is basketball-related income. She admitted that the initial production of over $8 billion from next season just is not going to happen. That's common sense at this point in time, but as long as arenas are not full capacity, they are going to lose some money from that projection, quite obviously. And, of course, all the money is divvied up by a percentage of BRI at the end of the day. Um, she referenced pot- the potential for about $6 billion, $6 billion um, for next year of BRI, um, down from 8 plus. And flow kind of what that means for the current split between the players and the owners. So that's definitely worth reading about in this interview. And in general, I would recommend reading the entire thing and not taking it all as gospel because, you know, again, she's only on one side. But um, it's definitely pretty interesting to get a look behind the curtain with her. She was pretty candid in this, all things considered. And obviously, you know, it's we're all waiting for clarity on the next steps after the draft, especially the draft. It's not set in stone, but it's on the schedule. And I think we're all assuming it's going to happen at that time. Uh, but all sides have pointed to the negotiations sort of heating up as soon as the finals are over. The finals could be over in the next week or so. So um, we'll have more information coming to be sure on this. But I thought it was uh, sort of relevant as a sort of as, a, as an add-on this week to the podcast. And uh, it's obviously going to affect the Hawks. I would love to know when next season is going to start. I would love to know what free agency is going to happen and all that stuff. We're kind of flying blind. I think the free agency stuff is uh, most interesting potentially for the schedule of this podcast, etc., with December 1st looming. But uh, knowing when the games were going to start again would be huge for uh, all of us, and especially teams that uh, were not playing since March, which, of course, the Hawks fall into that category. Okay, before we get to our last topic on the podcast today, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first one is Bilt Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. I have told you so many times in the past how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, but now there are 18 amazing choices to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and a personal favorite of mine in the cookies and cream flavor. Each bar is covered with 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all very soft and easy to chew. It's also important to point out that Built Bar is fantastic for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious and bars are low calorie low sugar high protein and high fiber and built bar is even great for people on the keto diet go to builtbar.com right now use the promo code locked on when you do that you'll get you'll get ten dollars off on your next order with built bar one more time that is builtbar.com promo code locked on for ten dollars off your next order check it all out at builtbar.com 
Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at Roman. And talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy at all. It usually men just brush it off or blame themselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or avoiding it altogether by blaming work or simply blaming things on a long day. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about with real healthcare professionals that can prescribe real medication. It's simple, it's safe, it's safe, and it's totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. And if medication ends up being appropriate for you, Roman will ship it to you for free with two-day shipping. And the whole process is straightforward and very, very simple. Getting started is also simple. Go to, go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA and complete an online visit with Roman. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA today, and if approved, you'll get $15 off on your first order of treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA, GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, and the last topic on the show today is actually about a fake trade, which is a, a sort of popular thing right now in Hawks Twitter and across the NBA landscape. People are kind of bored, especially if they're not covering the finals and all that stuff with regard of what's going on. And uh, anytime there's a fake trade that's prominently out there, people want to know about it. As such, if you're a new listener, I don't talk about every mock draft on the podcast, but sometimes I get, I get floods of questions about um, a particular thing that's in there and asking for my response or thoughts. I weigh in on some of them in mailbag form. That happened again this time with a mocked with a mock draft that featured a trade from Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report, um, and the Hawks were involved in the fake trade. So basically, I, I'm not sure there's a single pick, just a normal pick, that would cause me to actually weigh in with a deep dive on this topic. But fake trades are sometimes interesting. So here we are, and my 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 inbox sort of flooded with questions about this and confusion and also excitement in some in some levels. So I'll talk about that now. And also for the record. I'm going to explain why I think I think the trade would be pretty bad for the Hawks, and I don't think it makes a lot of sense to me, but that does not mean I'm going to go after John on this one. Um, he's been on the podcast before, and I hope to have him on again, honestly, before this before this year's draft, and uh, Jonathan Wasserman has been around for a long time. He's very smart about the draft, and even on Twitter, after the release of this mock draft, which um, was controversial in some circles, he was talking about how much mock drafts are league intel-based, more than big boards and all that stuff, which is important to point out. Also, I say this all the time, so forgive me if you're a new listener, you might want to at least listen to this part now, but fake trades are exceptionally hard. There's a reason why I don't do a ton of them on the show of my own making. People, I would say probably half the mailbag questions this time of year is like, people wanted me to make up stuff uh, about you know fake trades, like what would it take to do this? What would it take to do this? And it's really hard to do that. I try to do it sometimes, but I've been in a position before where I'd editor, I'd, editors asked me to project some trades in, in written form, and I really try not to do that because it's just very, very hard without Intel specifically. So with all that out of the way, I think this particular fake trade is bad for the Hawks. I will try to explain why I view it that way. But by the way, just as a note here, a couple of the responses that I got from Hawks fans that were asking me to talk about this were actually positive about the trade. So I disagree with them, but it wasn't like this was universal. Sometimes when there's a controversial Hawks thing, it's almost universal. Like, for instance, when the Ringer has gone after the Hawks, and the Ringer, I mean Bill Simmons usually, um, it's been pretty universally ugly from Hawks fans being upset about it. This time around, I think there was more negative than positive, but there were a couple people that actually liked this, so it was not universal. I'm on the negative I'm on the negative side about this fake trade, but uh, there you go. We'll set the table for that now. So the trade itself is uh, this, and we're going to explore it from all sides just to be fair to everyone involved. The trade is the Indiana Pacers getting the number two overall pick in the draft, the Warriors receiving Miles Turner, and the number six overall pick, which is the Hawks pick, of course, and then the Hawks receiving Andrew Wiggins and the 2021 first round pick from Minnesota, which is top three protected that currently Golden State owns as part of the D'Angelo Russell trade. So again, I'll explore this on all sides, save the Hawks for last, um, just to get those other two teams out of the way here. The Pacers will be trading Miles Turner for number two, it's as simple as that, for Indiana. For Golden State, they're trading number two and the Minnesota pick 
for Miles Turner and number six. And then the Hawks will be trading six for Andrew Wiggins and the Wolves pick. On the Indiana side, it's, again, pretty straightforward. I think the Pacers don't have a pick this year until late in the second round because of the Malcolm Brogdon trade. And they also have sort of that internal question about Demontis Sabonis and Miles Turner, both of whom are not, both of whom are definitely centers, and they don't really fit all that well together. So that's without going too deep into that, it kind of tells you why they may be looking to maybe trade Turner. Also, there's some rumblings that Turner might want out of Indiana that's been published in the past. And Sabonis had the breakout year this year, so I would guess that you know the turn, the Pacers might want to move on from Turner before Sabonis. I don't have a blazing take on this one, honestly, on the Indiana side. I think, you know, Turner versus number two seems kind of fair to me. Um, you could certainly make an argument on both sides. I would make an argument on both sides. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of number, number two pick in this draft, but Turner is a good player, not, not a star, but certainly that makes some, some sense for all parties involved, so we'll leave that one there for now. On the Golden State side, there's a ton of conflicting info about the Warriors that's out there. They've been tied to almost everyone and also against almost everyone in the draft at number two. Um, everyone believes that they might trade that pick for good reason. I think they might trade it as well. Um, Turner does make some sense for them as a center that can protect the rim and shoot it a little bit, um, has some floor game to him, et cetera, et cetera. And trade number two for him in this draft as the Warriors, especially a team that's trying to win right now, does make some sense to me. The rest of the deal, though, Golden State is essentially trading next year's Minnesota pick for number six in this draft. I will talk, talk about this some more with, on the Hawks section, but I can kind of see both sides on this one as well. Next year's class is undeniably better than this year's class, but there's at least a world in which the Wolves are either decent next year or so bad that the pick does not convey. So if that pick is, you know, it's I would say it's definitely reasonably likely that the pick from Minnesota is more valuable ultimately than number six in this draft, but it's not a lock in my view. If it was unprotected, then yeah, Minnesota's pick would be more valuable, but it's not. It's top three protected. It, it might roll over again, and I think that it's definitely more valuable potentially, but not an absolute slam dunk. So now we get to the Atlanta side, which is what you're all here to listen about because it's the Hawks podcast, and here we are. Um, the rationale that Wasserman wrote in the piece was that the Warriors would be uh, sending Wiggins to Atlanta, um, who can absorb his monster contract and could use another score. That's a direct quote there. And the Hawks also get a first-round pick in a better draft for taking on the Wiggins contract, which is that's that's the state of rationale. I've just explained it to you. Now I'm going to talk about what I think about the trade. Um, again, the simple explanation is the Hawks are turning the number six pick in the draft into Andrew Wiggins and the top top protected Wolves pick from 2021. So as for the Wiggins portion of this, Wiggins is owed almost $95 million over the next three seasons. That's a lot of money for Andrew Wiggins, to be sure. In fact, there is not anyone that I have talked to that is in and around the league that would tell you that's a neutral contract, much, much less a positive one. It's definitely a negative asset. There are um, conflicting opinions on just how negative it is. Wiggins still has some fans around the league, and I heard from some of them uh, in terms of the fans that, that I heard from today. Everyone agrees, though, that is not a good contract. It might be uh, you know, $10 million a year. Uh, underwater, it might be more than that, but regardless, he is not worth $31, $32 million a year. That's just too much money for Andrew Wiggins. I think everyone agrees on that at this point in time. So, with, with that out of the way, we'll keep going. I think you have to treat Wiggins like a negative asset in evaluating the trade, and for me, anyway, it's a pretty substantial negative. Um, you could try to convince me to be sure that taking a shot on Wiggins, who's only 25 years old still, would make some sense for the Hawks if he was making a more reasonable number, but that's just so much money for Wiggins, it's not really worth it. Um, the Hawks are flexible, to be sure, and, they, and you know, wings are not just overly available, but it's still an overpay in terms of what he's actually owed. So it's a, it's a, it's a huge negative for me um, anyway, and you would have to, I would say, there are, is a world in which you could take on his contract and get some appropriate compensation, but it would be, have, to be some, have to be pretty notable compensation, which I'm, shot, I'm not sure this definitely qualifies as that. So, flipping number six for number three, uh, protect, uh, sorry, that top, top three protected pick for next year, 
could be seen as a slight positive if you want to be optimistic. This is the other pivot point. So there's two pivot points in this trade. Number one is how you feel about Wiggins. And number two is this part. Um, I've talked to a few people in the last 12 hours since this sort of came out. I asked around a little bit um, around the league, people that I trust, like not, no GMs, but some staffers around the league, as well as some uh, media folks. And just to sort of get a sense on the feeling on how, on how they would view number six this year against that Wolves pick for next year. There's some very responses, I would say. A few smart people think that this class is so much worse than next year's class that even the 12th pick next year, for instance, or something like that could be worth as much or more as number six this year. I understand that viewpoint, honestly. Um, others are more skeptical, either because they think the Wolves might be overachieving next year a little bit and might have that worst pick, or because Minnesota might be so awful again that the pick lands in the top three and rolls over. Then that's substantial. There's a substantial chance of that, given the lottery scenario and all that stuff. I think the median response is basically that the two picks are pretty close to even. I think the overall slight lean would be to rather having the 2021 Wolves pick, and that's that's the way that John wrote about it as well in Bleacher, in Bleacher Report due to the overall upside of that pick. If it were to land at four or five next year, that is unquestionably worth more than number six this year. No, no, no doubt about it. There is some downside, but if you want to be more risky, you could lean to that one, but not not huge. I think my overall take, regardless of where you land on that draft versus draft evaluation, there's no way that that outweighs the negative value of three guaranteed years of Wiggins at almost $100 million. That's the overall stance, and, and that's, why, that's why it's a deal that I would not do as Atlanta. So Wiggins is a career... 19 point a game score that has some value for sure no question about it he's never been particularly efficient though a career true shooting of 52 percent um and that's kind of where he's still been hovering even even recently it wasn't like he got um better over the course of his career so far in that area he's not proven to be a high level shooter by any means either in volume or accuracy there are some signs at times but nothing nothing huge to build on there Athletically, he still uh, still has the goods, but defensively, it's never been very good. That hasn't really happened for him on the defensive end of the floor. There was some encouraging development with his passing this year, um, when compared to previous years. But that can give you some optimism. But even then, you know, thirty million dollars a year, not really uh, going to get there. I don't think anytime soon. I know he's twenty five, but he's been it's been in the league for a long time. And adding him at that number, by the way. Also would really put a damper on the Hawks for any 2021 plans they might have. If they want to make a big splash next year, that would be a lot harder to do with Wiggins on the roster. They could certainly use him as a matching salary that's substantial in a trade later in the deal, but that isn't foolproof by any means. And he still has, again, three more years on the deal. If it was one more year, sure. If it was two two more years, it might be even more palatable. But three more years is a long time in this environment. So... I could, be, I could keep doing uh, sort of every angle of this trade. It's still a fake trade, so I'm not going to do like the full, 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 full breakdown of this. This is still a lot on this topic, honestly. But I'll just say that the summary for me is that Wiggins is not close to being worth what his contract is. And yes, he would give the Hawks some scoring, but he wouldn't help their shooting. He wouldn't help their defense. And those are kind of what the Hawks need to do, uh, building building around Troy Young as they move forward. So there is a price, again, as I said before, to where I might it might make some sense to take on Wiggins if the Warriors got really desperate. But this price is not enough, frankly. Um, if it was just, for instance, if it was like just the top three protected Minnesota pick for Wiggins and you got to take both of those things, that becomes more interesting. But when you have to set out the number six overall pick in the deal as well, it becomes a little bit more of a challenge. So I am the first one to tell you that the Hawks pick this year at number six is, may not be worth as much as some people might think that it is, given how bad this draft is at the top. But it's still a lottery pick. Like, lottery picks still have va- still have value, um, flat out, period. I know I've been skeptical of this class for a long, long time, even though, even before we knew where the Hawks would be picking. But even with all that skepticism, 
there's still value, especially trade value in the number in the number six overall pick. You get some team control as well, a guy under contract for four years at a reasonable number. There's all kinds of value to that pick. And uh, to send that out for a, maybe a small upgrade in draft pick and also take on Andrew Wiggins for three more years at nearly $100 million is not something that I would be looking to do. But again, people might value Wiggins more than I do. People might value that pick differently than I do. If you want to swing the pendulum, there you go. And I know I heard from a couple Hawks fans that would have actually done this trade because they like Wiggins or for whatever reason. I think last thing here, I want to just point out that you know a lot of people don't necessarily view value the way that I do. Um, and that's kind of the thing about all of this. Like, I don't know. It's interesting to me that it's, it's kind of same, same thing with Buddy Hill, actually. We, we, were, we heard from Greg, Greg Wissinger on yesterday's podcast. That was a fun one. If you missed that one on the Kings, go back and listen to it. But even in advance of that, the Buddy Hill stuff is kind of similar. I think Buddy Hill is a better player than Andrew Wiggins right now. But um, it, it's all kind of varying degrees. And whenever I talked about Buddy the first time on this podcast and mentioned that he's uh, a negative value, people were kind of baffled by that. Not everyone, but some people were. And it's like, no, I'm not saying he's a bad player. It's just that he's overpaid and I, if, because in a salary cap league, you have to care about that. Wiggins is a a much more extreme example as someone who is not as good as healed and is making even more money. And you could certainly argue that Andrew Wiggins would help the Hawks. I'm not entirely sure how good he is, but he's not, you know, he's obviously better than some of the guys the Hawks were playing last year, for instance. But you're still paying that guy three years and massive money. So keep your card up on that. If you have questions about the way that I explained it, please let me know that on Twitter at BT Roller or at the show at Locked on Hawks. And uh, hopefully you enjoy this sort of uh, bonus episode in the middle of the week that was not supposed to be happening. But uh, there you go on that. And again, don't go crazy on John Wasserman. I totally understand the plight of someone trying to do fake trades. It's difficult to do. And uh, while I didn't like this one, it's, uh, again, very very hard to do that. And hopefully we'll, ha- we'll actually have John on the podcast in the near future to talk about the NBA draft because there's a lot of people that cover the draft, but only a handful have the intel that he does. So there you go on that. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. I don't always do this, but again, I want to plug my Braves podcast over at Talking Chop. Um, it's in the middle of the playoff run, so I will, stop, I will stop plugging it soon, but the Braves won on Tuesday. A lot of fun to be had on that show. If you want to check it out, if you're a Braves fan, that's also there as well as Locked on Braves on the same network. Um, so yeah, there you go. Check out the podcast, leave five-star feedback, subscribe, and we'll see you later in the week.